Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to Business Builder Show, where we feature champions from their respective industries from all over the globe. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to talk about those who feed us need us, and we'll do that with Yuzman Javik. Now, Yuzman has 15-plus years experience in Engro, which is part of Exxon, Nestle, and Telenor. He was part of the team that launched EasyPesa, which is a digital wallet product, and he has extensive experience in management, uh, MBA from MIT included. Now, that's where he met his partner, Euclid, uh, in an MIT entrepreneurship class, and they both shared similar ideas for improving the livelihood of smallholder farmers. Interestingly, both had worked closely with farming communities in their respective countries of Pakistan and Thailand, and had been moved by the appalling conditions and challenges faced by these communities. So they kickstarted Recult around late 2015 and were soon joined by Jonathan Stoller, who is their chief technology officer, and Gabriel Torres, who is their chief strategy officer. It's, it sounds like a fantastic story, UJ. By the way, uh, listeners, so uh, we can call uh, Usman UJ from here on out. So tell us about those who feed us, need us, Usman. And so start with, who do you serve as a company? Yeah, thanks, Bill, for the opportunity. You're very welcome, sir. Allow me to share my story. Really appreciate that. Uh, so, yeah, um, basically, I had been working for very large blue chip organizations uh, all my life. Uh, Exxon, uh, Nestle, Telenor. And I was exposed to these farming communities on the job where I was either dealing with them uh, through, through fertilizers that Exxon made or through uh, milk collection with companies like Nestle or uh, in Telenor where we launched this uh, digital wallet for non-smartphone users. So that was basically one of a kind because uh, most people in developing countries don't have access to smartphones. So we built this product, which could actually build be used as a wallet in a non-smartphone, which is like a feature phone. So it was then I realized how basic technology could be used to create huge social impact because digital wallets created a huge impact in terms of bringing in transparency and efficiency in these societies because they were targeted towards the unbanked community of the society. So the underprivileged section who could not get access to banks because banks physically cannot cover the entire geography of Pakistan, which is very large. So it was difficult for a lot of people who were living in rural communities to access these banks. And they were, because of that, excluded financially. There's a term in, in, in economics called financial exclusion. And when you have a big chunk of the society which is excluded financially, 
what it means that these people cannot get access to loans from mainstream banks. They cannot basically use the services that we all take for granted, like opening up a bank account or sending money from one person to the other or just transferring money or paying your bills across uh, different accounts. So what I realized is that if we could use technology to help the problem that farmers face in developing countries, maybe we could create an impact for the most underprivileged society of the world. I'd just like to share some stats here for you and your audience. So 75% of the world's poor are farmers. Let that sink in. Out of every 100 poor people, 75%, 75 of them are farmers. 83% uh, of the total farmers or, or farm holdings in the world are smallholder farmers. What that means is that they have land holdings of less than 12 acres. So in the US, you're used to working with farmers which have 2,000, 3,000 hectares, not acres. They're about six acres in every hectare. And you're talking about acres here in, in large parts of Africa, in large parts of Asia, in large parts of South America. You, you have these smallholder farmers who are financially excluded because they are part of a system which does not allow them to be uh, to to get the facilities from mainstream banking and then they have to rely on uh, informal loan charts for loans and they end up in this extremely exploitative relationship which pushes them into this uh, never-ending spiral of poverty because they borrow at very high rates and then they have to pledge their crops which the middleman or the informal loan shark takes away at a discounted rate. And uh, they're just stuck in this spiral for generations. So my idea was that uh, if I could use technology to solve some of these problems to help them work their way out of poverty, I think that would be a life well spent. And that's what got me excited. And I quit my job in Telenor. I was doing pretty well. It was a very cushy job, one of the best. And I, I, I just felt that there's way more that I can do to give back to the society. And I went to MIT. I did my MBA. I, I, I was exposed to some of the best minds in the world while at MIT. And, um, it widened my horizons. I tested my concept and I met all these fantastic uh, co-founders there. All of us are from MIT and uh, we were lucky that we all shared the same vision to try and make the world a better place. So that you is guys, how you, we you were all in the same actual class then. No, me and Ukrit were in the same year. We attended okay. a couple of classes together where we shared the same ideas. And then Jonathan Stoller was part of the computer science program. He was doing his master's in computer science. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, I, I met him there and, and I shared my vision and he sounded very excited. And then uh, Gabriel Torres actually met us through a connection at the MIT Delta V Accelerator program where we were selected to participate in it three-month uh, acceleration program, and that's through a mutual connection we met Gabriel Torres. So uh, all of us have shared the same vision. We really believe that 
It's people like us who have to actually contribute to try and make the world a better place for the future generations. And uh, that's where we are today. So tell me, so I understand uh, the farmer situation. Now, I, I, I know that you also serve effectively the financial types and so forth and so on. So uh, who are the, uh, the financiers that are, you're able to connect uh, uh, UJ with, uh, with the farmers? Who, uh, where, yeah. What kinds of institutions are they? Yeah, so basically we are a data analytics company. Okay. We process, we collect data from multiple stakeholders in the agricultural value chain, which includes remote sensing like satellite imagery and soil maps and uh, weather forecasts. We collect data from uh, mills, crop processing mills. We collect data from uh, uh, input supply companies, companies that sell fertilizers and companies that sell pesticides and companies that sell seeds. We collect data from banks and we, then all the, the, the data sets are processed through our AI-based algorithms to come up with actionable insights, which we then monetize for different value chain actors in the value chain. So for example, one of the biggest problems that banks face in, in, in developing countries, as I mentioned, is that they don't have access to enough data about a smallholder farmer to make a decision on his credit worthiness. And that is why they don't want to lend to him because they don't know whether he's going to pay back the loan or not. So we built these credit scores, which we then supply to the bank. Okay. that makes it easier for them to decide whether they should extend a loan or not. And similarly, they, we have different uh, products for different value chain actors, all based on data which helps them improve their operations, reduce costs and improve efficiencies. So that's where we are. Okay, that's interesting. So, uh, so it sounds to me like you're collecting the data effectively speculatively and have it available when you find an intersection between a, a, a small farmer and uh, with a need for financing. And then you've got connections also with the, with the other side of the, supply chain effectively, the potential lender. So, uh, 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 Yuja, can you uh, maybe think of a specific case study of some individual that you might remember over the years and just kind of walk us through uh, uh, who this individual is, what the crop was, how they found out about you guys, you know, uh, and just walk us through the process how the loan got funded, how the loan got repaid. I think that would help, I think, our listeners, uh, UJ, understand uh, how you typically solve, go about solving the problem. Yeah, so let's assume there's a farmer uh, based in, in Pakistan, remote part of Pakistan, and he is a small, poor farmer. He can't go to the bank to get a loan, and he needs money to buy farm inputs. So he has just one option, which is go to the loan shark and borrow money, which uh, is very expensive because he might end up paying 50% to a 70% interest rate on an annual basis. So what he needs to do is go to the Google Play Store or to the iOS uh, Play Store uh, or App Store, download our app, uh, and then go to the uh, register with us 
by providing some basic information and then go to the section where he can apply for a bank loan. Now, when he applies for a bank loan, that information is shared with our partner banks who get a credit score based on the analysis that our app would have done for them. And once they get that information, they get in touch with the farmer and then they extend the loan to the farmer. Now the farmer, when we, he can use our app throughout the crop cycle because it has a lot of features which help him improve farm productivity. Like it has a hyper-local weather forecasting model in it. It has uh, crop prices, real-time crop prices. It has uh, agronomy information to help him take decisions about diseases about related to his crop. So he, he uses that throughout the crop cycle. And then at the end of the crop cycle, he has the option to sell his crop either to one of our partner organizations or to anyone else that he wants. So if he sells his crop to our partner organizations, he gets paid within 48 hours. Uh, that's also one of the problems that farmers face in developing countries that they don't get paid immediately. So if he pays through us, he gets paid within 48 hours and then the crop uh, buyer actually pays off the bank. And that way the bank is secured, the farmer gets paid and the buyer gets the crop. So that's how it works actually. Okay, that's, that's, very, that's very nice. That's very clear, concise, and I totally understand it. I think our listeners have got a pretty good idea of that. Now, uh, do you have, I assume you've got some competitors in addition to the loan shark types. Uh, uh, and if so, if so, how are you different from your competition? So fortunately for us, agriculture uh, is not considered to be a very um, lucrative or very um, fancy space for a startup uh, because it requires a lot of hard work. You gotta roll up your sleeves. You gotta go out and set in the sun, in the heat with poor people who are not very clean, illiterate people and try and solve their problems. So fortunately for us, there aren't a lot of people in this space, but that's unfortunately for the industry because the lesser people you have who try to solve their problem, the more difficult it becomes for people who are trying to solve their problem because you need to invest more in marketing, more in trying to create awareness about your products. So that is where um, I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I, I really can't name uh, uh, any one particular uh, competitor who would do the complete cycle that we do. Uh, yes, there are competitors who do pieces of what we do, certain sections of what we do, like you have companies who have a farmer app who provide weather information, you have companies who provide credit scores only, you have banks who provide loans, but you don't have an end-to-end -end model that I know of um, that uses technology the way we do. Okay, excellent. I, I, thought, I thought that's probably what you would say. Uh, but uh, I'm glad to hear it right from you. Okay, so we, uh, UG, I think we've got a pretty good understanding of, of, of who it is that you serve, very clear, how you connect the various players, the, 
the the crop purchasers and the banks and the and the, and the farmers themselves all together with this fantastic technology. It's readily available on on the Android store, readily available in the Apple store. Uh, I assume the uh, name of the app is uh, is going to be the same as your company name, or does it have a different name? Yeah, that is the name. Uh, I, I didn't give you a chance or the opportunity to ask me uh, the name Recult. Why do I do? Why have we named it Recult? That would be interesting. So Recult is the middle name of is, is the middle word of agriculture. Oh. If you take away the ag and the URE, you're recalled. So we are trying to create a cult which wants to create change in the society. And that's how we've positioned ourselves within the organization that we are a cult. We need to make it possible for smallholder farmers to change their lives. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I love the mission. So uh, <clears throat> let's talk about your business. You gave us, you gave a little couple little tastes uh, about your passion, where it came from, uh, how, the, how MIT connected and so forth. But maybe you could go back, tell us the story of your business. Uh, uh, you, you just told us now how you came up with the name. Walk us through some of the major milestones over the last uh, uh, seven, eight years that you have gone through. Uh, what were they? Uh, what did you learn from the milestones and uh, kind of walk us through that? And then with your permission, UJ, I'll, I'll dive in when I get curious about a particular uh, one of your uh, story parts. Yeah, so this is, uh, we've been around for six years. And um, we started off in October, uh, uh, we started off actually in March 2016, when we started operations in Pakistan. Um, we started off, interestingly, as an online marketplace okay. for farmers, where we wanted farmers to buy inputs uh, from the internet. What we realized very soon was that all most transactions with smallholder farmers actually happen on loans because farmers don't have cash. Hence, we had to remodel ourselves and include people who would want to lend. But then we realized that a lot of people, a lot of banks aren't interested in our model because it's not tested and they don't have a proof of concept. And that is where we started lending off our own balance sheet and we started extending loans. And um, we, in our first crop cycle, we had a 64% default rate. What that means is that out of 100 people that we lent to, 64 did not repay. So there was something drastically wrong with our credit scoring model. And then in our second crop cycle, we were able to bring that down to 46%, which again is tremendously high. But we made a lot of tweaks after that and went back to the drawing board. And post that, in the last seven crop cycles, we have a 0% default rate. And that actually helped us get banks on board to believe in this model. And that's how we then started to scale up. And now we have close to 600,000 farmers who work with us across three countries in Asia 
And uh, we have a couple of banks who work with us. We, we raised close to $10 million in funding and um, things are looking pretty good now. So um, uh, the, uh, the, the lack of repayment, was that because of crop failures or is that because of the misunderstanding, if you will, I'll lose it, this one, misunderstanding of the farmer with what it was that the obligation that existed or was it just a combination of all kinds of things? Yeah, so uh, what we do is basically we analyze uh, farmers on two dimensions. It's fa the farmer's ability to pay back a loan and the farmer's willingness to pay back a loan. Okay. We can work We can work for the farmer who is low on the ability side, but uh, is high on the willingness side. But sometimes you get a mix where you have farmers who are very high on the ability side, but very low on the willingness side. And that's when you have a problem. And in the first two batches, we had more people who were high on the will, uh, on the ability side, but low on the willingness side. Okay. And that's what caused these problems for us. Yeah, I had that suspicion. I just wanted to hear it from you if it was. I didn't think of the term willingness. I was trying to think of another term, but that's a very good term. So it's you got these two-dimensional axes and you're looking for people in that upper right segment that are willing and able, and they're the ones that are going to follow through and make the system work fantastically well. So uh, uh, failure-wise, uh, you mentioned this one, which was people not paying you back. You lost a lot of money in that process. Uh, you've overcome that. Any other failures that you had, uh, uh, UJ, and uh, what did you learn from the additional failures? Yeah, adopt, uh, changing uh, or getting people to change their habits is one of the most difficult things in the world. Uh, if you're, Bill, if you're used to doing things in a certain way for many years, and if I come to you and tell you, hey, Bill, you've never met me before, but I can tell you a better way to do what you've been doing for generations, you're not going to trust me. And that's one of the biggest problems we face with these communities because these communities have been scammed so many times that right. they their circle of trust is very limited. They're not very interested in believing people, especially people who don't belong to their community. And that is our biggest obstacle and challenge to convince them that we're on their side and we want to help them. And we're not there to make money off them, but we're there to help them make money for them. So, so we, we, we keep on having these these challenges but the idea is to use communities and uh, you people within the community to to forward our to promote what we're trying to do to get people to adopt technology and realize that there is value creation there and they can capture that value if they work with us okay okay beautiful okay thank you very much so um here we are just about in the middle of 2022 so what's holding you back right now? What's your big challenge? So our big challenge primarily is driving enough adoption. We have 600,000 farmers, but then we're a small company. We're a startup. We have about 50 employees spread over many countries. So I think the biggest challenge is to 
to take that number from 600,000 to at least 3 million in the next six to 12 months. And that's what we're trying to do. So do you have a database of these, uh, of these potential? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So that all of that is part of all your collections, you know, who these landowners are and so forth. Well, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. All right. So we've got a lot of people that you've uh, interested in your story, potential employees, potential uh, banks, potential uh, uh, crop buyers, potential uh, small uh, farmers. How do all those people get a hold of you and your company, UJ? Uh, uh, yeah, so the best way to connect with us is through our website. It's www.recult.com. Uh, in the website, you can get access to our uh, contact details. There's um, uh, a, a helpline. There is uh, an email address. You can request for a demo within the website if you put in your name and your email. Um, other than that, we have a Facebook page. We have a LinkedIn page. Uh, all these social media elements are available for, uh, for anyone, whether it's an investor, whether it's a customer, whether it's a potential employee. Uh, happy to connect with anyone through these channels. Oh, beautiful. Okay, thank you very much. So, um, so what's the one question that you were thinking maybe Bill's going to ask me such and such and I didn't ask it. So what's that question that you're waiting for me to ask? And then what's the answer to that, uh, UJ? Yeah, uh, well, I would have thought that you would ask me, why didn't we start in the United States? And uh, the answer to that is that uh, the United States, uh, even though they, they have certain communities of farmers which aren't that well off, but they have a lot of support from the government in terms of subsidies, where the countries that we try and operate in now actually don't have that government support. And that is where we feel we can add the most value. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And... Uh... Uh, this all makes great sense to me. I'm sure you'll get uh, quite a few people that are going to get a hold of you. Hopefully, uh, some of them will be part of this missing 2.4 million people that you want uh, uh, on your in your uh, ecosystem. So hopefully, we can help you with that, sir. So thanks for spending your time with us. My pleasure, and thank you for the opportunity, Bill. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Now, everybody, look. Uh, you have heard in spades that we need to focus on a single fact, and that is that businesses do not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as the result of the owner first learning and then applying a proven combination of having the right mindset about the future of a dedication to a system of management, and number three, leveraging high-performance teams. So thanks for listening. Uh, UJ, thank you very much for spending your time with us today. Great. Thank you so much, Bill. Have a good one. Excellent. Thank you, sir.